you're going to love it this morning, I do believe. By the way, how many of you, when you came in today, received a, a copy of the verses? I see that hand. You know, pastors are great at seeing hands. And uh, you're going to want to keep that handy with you today because you're going to be moving back and forth through that. As it was already mentioned, next week is our, our church picnic. And one of the reasons that we are doing this is because when we have multiple services, there is a pretty significant portion of the congregation that you don't know. And so next week, when we get to the picnic grounds, we're going to ask you to put a name tag on, uh, and, and if, we'll know your name if you have good handwriting, uh, and, and so that we will at least have a place to start when we're looking around at different people, and uh, we want to be able to develop relationships with one another, and uh, because we recognize that living for Christ without being in community is profoundly lonely. And we already know that it's, it's possible to live in the middle of a crowd and be unknown, to be in the middle of a congregation and be, and be unknown and not have friendships that we so desperately need. In fact, today I'm approaching a topic in the Word that, honestly, as I was looking back, I don't think in 42 years of ministry I've ever, ever preached on the topic of forging human friendships before. And yet, last week I told you that for the rest of the summer we're going to be focusing attention in some of the Psalms and Proverbs. And so, if you will take your sheet of paper that you have there, let me just read these to you before we dive into this today. And I'm just going to kind of read them in the order that you have them there. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Too much of you, and he will hate you. I, I know I have never preached out of that verse ever. <laughs> like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on soda, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows, is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. If a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than one who has a flattering tongue. Whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. Father, I pray that you will take the, the group of verses that we just read and by adding your anointing and your presence that you would bring to our hearts and minds the ability to formulate thoughts as it relates to forging friendships that you desire for us. And because we are in your house, we don't even have to invite you here. You invited us into your presence. And so do your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And wisdom is the ability to know and do the right thing in situations where moral rules don't address. In other words, we are loaded with Scripture that tells us about things, how to live and what to do. But wisdom in life is 
in those situations that Scripture might not directly address, what do we do? How do we apply those things in those moments? And the theme today is a crucial one as it relates to the book of Proverbs because Proverbs tells us that you are not going to be a wise person and that you are not going to lead a wise life, nor will you make it in life unless you are great at choosing and forging and keeping terrific friendships. And as we look at the Proverbs, we can understand them. And, and some of the things that we just read, you might say, I'm, I'm really interested to see how this is going to apply. And I want you to understand we're going to look at this under three headings today. Number one, the uniqueness or the unique necessity of friendship. Number two, the discovery of friendship. And number three, the forging of friendship. The uniqueness of friendship, point number one, there's a couple of verses that we read at the beginning. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, do you know what that is saying is that there are times in your life where having a friend is more important than having a sibling. Now, now let me just ask this. How many of you have a sibling? Just about everybody here has a sibling. You've got to realize that in the culture in which this was written was far more of a family culture than what we live in today. And so we look at this and say, why then would a friend be better than a sibling? Because it tells us in verse 17, a friend loves at all times, but a sibling is for adversity. Now, here's what they're trying to say. Your siblings are going to be there for you when adversity comes because in your family there's loyalty, there's memory, there's, there's family pride. They are going to be there for you when times are tough, but they may not like you. You might not be the person that they would choose if they had an open evening and want to go out to dinner. You might not be the person that they would make the first call to if they had time and wanted to just hang out. A friend is someone who has chosen you. And the word sticks, as in a friend who sticks closer than a brother, is it comes from an Hebrew word that is often translated as cleave. In other words, a friend means that they are committed to you out of love. And so a friend can be better than a sibling. This tells us of the unique necessity of friendship. Friendship will bring something into your life that your family can't bring to you. Friendship will bring something into your life that romance can't bring to you, that neighbors can't bring to you. It will bring something to you that there is no other avenue by which to get it into your life other than friendship. And yet, we live in a culture that puts friendship on the back seat of importance in our life, even though Scripture tells us that it is irreplaceable. And we look at it and say, why is that? A liberal individualistic culture like ours always puts erotic love, romantic love, sexual love first in just about everything they do. This week, I went to the grocery store and I was behind somebody in one of the lines that had a large grocery cart loaded to the brim of everything. And so I had a little time to sit there and just peruse the little magazines that are right there for those of you that, that regularly tend. And so being that I was preparing for this, I just thought I would look at all the headlines and see how many of them talked about who was best friends with who. Guess what? Didn't find one of them. However, I now know who is sleeping with who. 
And I now know who is pursuing who. Or when you begin to think about the songs that we listen to, how many of them talk about friendship? Now, as I begin to think about all of the songs that I know, and this is certainly going to date me, some of you may remember a three-dog night song that said, Jeremiah was a bullfrog, was a good friend of mine. Now, you don't have to sing anymore from that. (laughs) But that was the first song that came to my mind as it related to having the word friend in it. But when you begin to think of the songs that talk about love and romance and relationships and and, and sexual activity, we are loaded and bombarded with those within our culture. What about movies? The one blockbuster trilogy that has ever been made, not about romance and not about family, but about friendship, is The Lord of the Rings. The beauty of friendship is the main theme of it. How many? But, But... For those of you that are readers, and I know that there are a lot of you that read the books before you saw the movies, for those of you that read the books, you were disappointed because the movie didn't accurately reflect some of that. In fact, the romance wasn't even a part of the book. It was in the appendices of it. But Hollywood had to pull that out and stick it right in the center, and we had Aragon and Irwin's love affair that was right at the center, and it wasn't in the book, and we say, why is that? Because we live in a culture that isn't turned on by friendship. It doesn't seem to make much difference. It's not the important thing. But to Tolkien, this was what the book was about. And so in a liberal, individualistic culture, romance is the most important relationship. In a traditional conservative culture, family is the most important. Father, mother, brothers, sisters. In a socialistic, communitarian culture, it's the civic relationships. It's your relationships that you have with your neighbors in your neighborhood and your community. And it is the only love, friendship love is the only love that will not push itself on you. Because in every other relationship, you seem to be forced into it. And that means, of course, that it, in some senses, it seems as if it's not even necessary. Because friendship love is not biological or sociologically a necessity. What that means is that without erotic love, you wouldn't exist. If it wasn't for family love, you wouldn't have been reared. If it wasn't for neighborhood love or civic love, you couldn't survive the crime and oppression that would take place around you and that sort of thing. And therefore, in an incredibly busy culture like ours, all of the other loves, all of the other relationships push themselves on you. And if you don't think so, just think about your life and how much pressure your family puts on you to be involved in things and the civic relationships you've got to have those and and occupational networking that must take place and chances are you still would like to have romance but friendship which takes an incredible amount of deliberate time to develop will always find itself squeezed out in our culture and yet when we approach the bible and we look at the book of Proverbs, it said that friendship love brings something into your life that is unique. In fact, it tells us in Proverbs 13, 20, fools perish for either the lack of friends or for poorly chosen friends. And so we live in a world where people today are declaring, I am who I choose to be. Wrong. 
Nope. You see, when you're young in your early stages of life, you are who your family tells you that you are. And as you get a little bit older, you are who your friends are. You are who your friend circles tell you you are. It's your community that forms you and shapes you. And so the book of Proverbs tells us that you perish for lack of or wrong friends. So we look at this and say, okay, if that is true, then how do we get friends? How can we discover friends? We must learn about discovering them and how that works out. So as you're looking at your list, the second proverb I want to just briefly mention again, a man of many companions may come to ruins, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I want you to notice as you're looking at this verse that this is not a contrast of two equal groups here. Companions, we have a lot of companions, we have a lot of associates and associations, and, and we have a lot of acquaintances, but the Scripture says you can have a lot of those, but you may only have one friend. And this is getting across the idea that in your life, you may not have a whole bunch of really, really close friends. Compared to the other relationships and the other associations, friends are rare. And true friendships are rare. It tells us in the Scripture that you have there, perfume and incense brings joy to the heart, and pleasantness of one's friends springs from earnest counsel. The pleasantness of one's friends, that, that word pleasantness comes from a word that we would call sweetness, and, and it's a word that had to do with honey. In other words, what it was saying, that real friendships are like delectable sweets to your soul. Now, for those of us that like candy, I can understand this verse, that there's this delectable nature that comes as a result of that. And here's why that is interesting, because all of the commentators that I read pointed out that when this book was written, sugar had not yet been discovered. Just think about that for a moment. People did not know how to artificially sweeten food. Sweetened foods had to be discovered. It was something that when you ate it, you discovered it. And as a result of that, there were certain foods that were naturally sweet. And here's the point. Friendship requires a foundation, an affinity, a common love, a common vision that can't be created. It must be discovered. It can't be created. It must be discovered. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to tell you that even though you discover and can build a foundation of friendship that you can't start there, but it must at least start there, that you discover something that you have in common. In the two essays that I spent a lot of time in, in preparation for this for, one of them was Ralph Waldo Emerson's famous essay on friendship, which you can find on the Internet, and I would encourage you to look it up because it, it was fascinating. And then the other one, and many of you may know, I, I love reading C.S. Lewis, and he has a book here called The Four Loves, and, and one of the, the four loves is the friendship, and I'm going to quote him often within this. But Ralph Emerson says this, Friendship does not ask, do you love me, so much as it says, do you see the same truth? Are you passionate about the same things? C.S. Lewis takes that thought and he puts it this way. The typical expression of opening a friendship would be something like this. What? You two? I thought I was the only one. That is the beginning of friendship. Friendship. This is the beginning 
of the discovery that you may be around somebody that has something that you can build a foundation on for friendship. And so, though we can have erotic love and friendship in the same person, in some ways there's nothing less like a friendship than a love affair. And here's why. Lovers are always talking about their love and how much in love they are and to make sure that they stay in love. Friends hardly ever talk about their friendship. They don't have conversations as, hey, we need to have a conversation about the state of our friendship. Lovers are absorbed in face-to-face communication. Friends are side-by-side, shoulder-to-shoulder with a common interest. And you begin to see the point here. What makes a friend is not, oh, I would like you to be my friend, but you too? You see these things like I do? There's a common truth there for us, and it's in that that something begins to develop. Lewis goes on to make a point very, very plainly, and I'm just going to quote it from him. This is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition for having friends is that you would want something else besides friends. If someone asks you, do you see the same truth, and your honest answer is, I really don't care about that, I just want you to be my friend, then no friendship can arise. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. Those who have nothing can share nothing, and those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. And that's the reason why friendship has got to be about something that you discover. But once discovered, you cannot leave it there. It requires that you build upon that a foundation. So how then do we forge friendships? How in the church do we step beyond just seeing faces and, and, and understanding just a little bit about each other and, and begin to forge some things? The book of Proverbs tells us that there are four building blocks or or ways that we can evaluate our friendships through these, and and Tim Keller lists them this way, constancy, carefulness, candor, and counsel. The first one is constancy. And we look at this and say, now, I wonder what do we mean by constancy? And, And as we look at these two verses, it says, a friend loves at all times. What does that mean? that a friend loves at all times. Does it mean that if you have a friendship that you spend all your time together with each other at each other's house? No, because the other verse said, too much of you and they will hate you. There is this balance that has to be found as you're working through these things. What this really means to us is this. A friend loves in all kinds of times. A friend loves in all kinds of times. Good times. Bad times, ordinary times, routine. In other words, you can't be a friend unless you are constantly available. And that's part of what the constancy means. But constancy doesn't just mean availability. It means that you are there when the chips are down. We look at these verses. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin... But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In other words, what Scripture is telling you is if you are a friend, you won't let your friend come to ruin. You won't let that friendship get to that place. And interesting enough, as we look at this, what we begin to understand is that most of the people that you know or want to know you 
do so because you are useful to them. Now, before you get all bent out of shape about that, I want you to understand that most of your acquaintances are there because they are useful to you. That's the way we look at things. Most of the companions that you have are your associates. Why do you know them? Because they're useful to you. Some of them are useful when you want to have a good time. You know that they have a sense of humor that you like and you're going to be around them. Some of them are useful because they help you meet other people. And some of them are useful because they have skills that you don't have and you can get things done when they come over. But you see, a friend, according to Scripture, is somebody who is there when the chips are down and you are starting to collapse. And they know that in that moment of time, it is going to take a lot of their involvement and a lot of their expenditure to stay in a close relationship with you when your life is collapsing and they say, you are so important to me that I'm willing to be there in that moment of time. Here's the difference. A companion will say, and I have to admit to you, I can't tell you how incredibly guilty I felt even typing this up. Just throwing that out there. A companion will say, call me if you need me. A friend shows up. A companion will say, hey, if things get really tough, let me know and I'll see what I can do. But a friend is there deliberately because they have not made you a means to an end. You by yourself are the end. And a friend won't let you get to the bottom. They won't. They will fight tooth and nail to stand beside you to make sure that you do not come to ruin. Constancy. Next is carefulness. Carefulness is really interesting. And to understand this, we need to ask ourselves a couple of questions as it relates to some of the scriptures that you have. Why does a man deceive his neighbor and then say, <laughs> I was only joking? Why does a man loudly bless his neighbor in the morning and it will be taken as a curse? Now, I will admit to you that when I read this verse the first time, I thought about all of those people in my neighborhood who get up at 6 o'clock on a Saturday morning to mow their lawn, thinking, we also have in our neighborhood lots of young parents who, who go onto our neighborhood website and say, could you just wait? I didn't get my kids to sleep till 3 in the morning, you know. There is this aspect of how do we understand and get to know one another. Here's the way we look at this. Here is a person who is emotionally disconnected. Somebody who is just a companion does not know your innermost emotional topography enough to know that the joke that they are about to tell you is going to hurt your feelings. They just don't know you that well. I don't know enough about you to know what kind of person you are in the morning before you have coffee. But most of all, we look at what it says in Proverbs 25, 20, like one who takes a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Now, what does singing songs to a heavy heart mean? By the way, song here means a song of joy. And so what they're saying is, how do I know if I am really a friend or how do I know if they're really my friend? Because this is speaking of an emotional disconnection. If I can be happy when you are sad, you are not my friend. If I can be happy when you are sad, you are not my friend and I'm not your friend. Why? Because whether or not you understand it, true friendship 
means that there is an emotional connection that takes place. You become emotionally vulnerable to one another. You can't sing songs of joy when your closest friends are hurting because you're connected to them. And what is so amazing and scary about friendship is that in friendship, you give the gift of emotional connection voluntarily. I'm here for you. I'm doing this out of my care for you. It's a voluntary gift. And honestly, as you go through this, it's the reason that most of us can't handle too many really close friends. Or otherwise, you would never be in a good mood because you would only be as happy as the worst condition of your best friends. But a friend creates an emotional connection. Listen, a friend knows intuitively by looking at you whether or not things are well in your life. They don't have to ask you. They'll come up to you and say, what's going on? I'm smiling. Yeah, I've seen that smile before. You're, you're lying. A friend knows you. There's an intuition as it relates to the connectiveness that you have in that, and they won't let you off the hook until there's this expression of what is happening there. A friend is committed to your emotional flourishing because he or she cannot flourish unless you are flourishing. And so first, there's constancy. constancy. Second, there's this incredible sensitivity and emotional connection that comes with emotional vulnerability to one another. And the third thing that is listed here is candor, which really just means truth-telling. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds of a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. I want you to look at the metaphors that are being used here because they are deliberate and they are vivid and they are also deliberately paradoxical. Friendly wounds, wounding kisses. Now, for some of you are, are reading out of the old King James and, and verse 6 says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend. We look at it and say, what are friendly wounds? And, and the answer to that is that there's this metaphor going on here for words that says, these are words that you have to hear, words that somebody is close enough to you that they have to speak them to you. Now, here's how you know if you're in a real friendship or not. If you are afraid to say what needs to be said, then you are not a real friend. You look at the parallelism of what's going on here. This is a way to, to understand the, the Hebrew poetry here because in the second clause of verse 5, it talks about hidden love, and that's another metaphor. What it's trying to say is this is a person that thinks that they are being a loving friend to you by hiding the truth from you. And you say, oh, I love that friend too much to confront them, or I love that person too much to tell them the truth. But look what is parallel to this in verse 6. Hiding or covering up the truth out of love in verse 5 is the same as the enemy at work within you in verse 6. It's parallel to the second clause that says an enemy multiplies kisses. Now, for those of us that have the New Testament to look at, this would be just as bad as Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss. Why? Because if in your friendship you say, I love that person too much to be truthful to them, what you are really saying is, I love myself too much to go through that with them. 
and you are not a friend. Proverbs 29, 5 says, Whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading nets for his feet. Now, let me put that into some modern-day language as we look at that. If you, in your closest friendships, don't tell your friends what is wrong with him or her or allow them to tell you what is wrong with you, that friend will never get an accurate view of their strengths or weaknesses. And if you don't do that, you are setting your friends up for a disastrous life as much as if you were putting their foot into a bear trap because they are going to make decisions on the basis of who they think they are. And if you don't have an accurate view of yourself, you are going to be making one disastrous decision after another because you are out of touch with the reality of who you really are because your friends won't tell you the truth. And by the way, you need to know that the richer or the more powerful you are or the higher you get up in leadership, the more likely your friends are doing this to you. And you really need to go and get some real friends. If you are worried that your truthfulness or being told the truth will crush your friendship, then listen to what Emerson says. Do not wish to treat friendships daintily, but with the roughest courage. When they are real, they are not glass threads or frost work, but the solidest things we know. In other words, if you're in a real friendship, you don't have to treat it as if it's dainty glass and if you do something wrong, it's going to shatter in your hand or it's not as, as flimsy as a, a frost that shows up on the window that when you blow on it, it disappears. He's saying friendships are to be made of courage and they are tough. Biblical friendships are tough enough to handle the truth. Now, when you look at this, you begin to recognize, as if you're anything like me as I was typing this, I'm going, this is hard. Friendship is hard. Carefulness and candor. Candor is I'm telling you the truth. Carefulness is I understand your emotional makeup so well that I know that what I'm about to tell you is going to cause you pain, but you need to know I love you so much that even telling you this is going to cause me pain too. But I'm willing to walk through this with you because I'm committed to your well-being. It is the reason it's so hard to be a friend because you and your friendships, if you choose to only be careful, then you will shut up and never speak the truth. Or some of you brag about having only candor. Well, everybody knows me. I speak the truth. I tell it like it is. If you don't have any carefulness in the way that you approach people and you only tell it like it is, then ultimately people will look at you and see you that you're a bully because you bear no pain for what you say that causes pain. But to be a friend is constant pain because you have to be both careful and candid. I have experienced both of these in the last two weeks. God has blessed me with a few people that are very, very close friends. And one of them I had to confront because I began to recognize that the way that they were speaking was building a root of bitterness in them. And in a conversation that was very difficult because it was going to cause me as much pain as it was going to cause him, I had to begin to share with him some truths. And he said, that may be true, but I'm going to have to take some time to digest this. And we had some very, very silent, lonely few days. 
before finally we could talk again. Last weekend, I had the opportunity to go and be with a friend of mine, and as we were sitting in a boat together, he felt necessary to share with me some things that I needed to hear. I did not like what he had to say. And I was in a boat, and I wasn't Jesus, and I couldn't get out and walk away. And I remember telling my friend, I'm going to have to take this to prayer because my initial reaction is to push you away. But after taking it to the Lord in prayer, the Holy Spirit began to confirm to me the truth of the words of a friend. Here's something else about friendship that you need to know. If you are in a true friendship, true friends open the door for their friends to do this by saying things like, I permit you to speak to me in ways that I need to be spoken to. I'm giving you permission to look at my life. Is there anything that I need to know that you see that I'm not seeing for myself? And when you give that permission to people, you have opened a door of trust and maturity to your friendship. And lastly, the fourth mark of a true friend is counsel. The fourth building block is counsel. The pleasantness of one's friend springs from earnest counsel. That word earnest counsel comes from the word earnest, which deals with our heart, and counsel, which means secrets. In other words, in true friendships, you begin to share the secrets of your heart. There's a trustworthiness that comes out of this is what we're talking about. And, and this also indicates to us that there's a difference between friendships and therapy. In a therapy session, you're going there to, to share your heart with somebody who is there specifically not as your friend but to give you building blocks to get back on track. They don't have an emotional connection with you. They have a professional relationship with you. On the other hand, there are those people in your life that they consider you their friend, but all they are, you're, you're just somebody that they vent to. And constantly they are unloading all of their emotional baggage on you. They think that's friendship, but they don't know that you're not invested in that, that it's drawing the life out of you. Friendship is a give and take in all of these things. In fact, there's two aspects to this counsel. There's one that's the earnest counsel, and then there's the other part that says iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. In a friendship, there has got to be give and take and intimacy. Yes, you, you build one another up, but in true friendship, there's also the aspect of, listen, I'm not going to let you get away with this. This needs to be sharpened in your life. And in that give and take of friendship, we begin to recognize the Scripture is true and how it applies within our own life. Because if you have acquaintances where there's only one of these things going on, if you have friends that only tell you good things about yourself, then they are not being honest with you. And if you have friends that only blast you all the time, then there's probably some emotional manipulation that's going on there as well. So there's the aspect of a pleasant counsel and sharpening counsel. And so these are the four, constancy, carefulness, candor, and counsel. And if you find somebody who's got that common affinity with you, the foundation, then you begin to use those building blocks to build a friendship. Worship team, if you please come. I'm, I'm not going to be able to finish this today, but this is a good place for us to at least bring this thing in for landing. As you listen to this today, maybe you get a picture of what an ideal friend looks like. A friend that always gives you the truth, even though they experience the same pain you have in speaking it to you. 
a friend who cleaves to you and is faithful to you so that you are never ruined, a friend who is emotionally connected to you and are able to get into your shoes. And when you read this description of a perfect friend, there are two things that are going to happen to you, I can assure you. Number one, there's a feeling of longing. There's a part of us that say, oh, God, I want that. I really, I really want to have a relationship with somebody that is that close that we can be that honest with each other. And we live in such a mobile society. And because time pressures upon us so heavily, what we discover is that we lose close friendships much more quickly than we can forge new ones. Some of your closest friends have moved away. And, and while there may be that time where you're speaking on the phone, it's not the same thing as being involved in everyday life with one another. Those of us that are getting older, some of our closest friends die. And we begin to recognize the time frame that we have left to forge new ones may be short. And so there's this lonely longing that takes place within our heart as we look at this. The second thing that happens as a response to this is that I find this profile to be crushing, honestly. It's just crushing. Because when we measure ourselves according to this, we begin to realize something. And, and let's just admit it. One of the reasons that we don't have close friendships is that we are really, really lousy at being close friends. It's vulnerable. Sometimes we don't want people that close because we don't want them to see the things that only closest friends know. And yet God says if you want a life that is fulfilled, if you want to see what Christian friendships look like, then we take the wisdom of Proverbs and we begin to apply that. So next week we're going to have a picnic together. For some of you it's going to start with a name tag with your name on it. And sitting there in, in just a discussion, we're going to be praying, Lord, would you let this place be loaded with discovery? That the sweetness of finding things in common might begin just to percolate to the top. And then having found that, give us the courage to build, to invest the time to build and forge friendships. I don't think that the church functions well when all we have is a few minutes together on a Sunday morning. I think God desires something more of us than that. And that might mean that you have to change the priorities of how much time you spend watching TV. It might change the priorities of what you do and others because you recognize that if I want a friendship, I'm going to have to invest myself in that. And we live in a culture that is drawing us away from that. And Scripture says, come. Scripture just says, come.